busy. Okay, let's keep going. Today we are here with Jonathan Hobbs of StopSaving.com and uh, John is going to bring us an institutional approach and viewpoint to Bitcoin in the crypto space. He's also the author of several books, uh, one of which I just uh, have finished reading. Uh, fantastic book. So John, why don't you tell us about your background a little bit and about the books that you've written? Uh, yeah, so my background, I guess I've had uh, two careers. Uh, in the investment industry over the last 15 years. The first was, uh, well, I guess a corporate career and then that's moved into a more entrepreneurial career. So the corporate career began at Morgan Stanley in a very back office entry-level role where I was just learning uh, the ropes of banking operations. Um, from there, I kind of did my rounds. Uh, I ended up at a few different uh, investment firms. Uh, and then finally in 2014, I joined a firm uh, called Energy Investments, where I was a valuations analyst. Uh, and my job there was to kind of um, assign valuation models to some of the more difficult uh, uh, investments that Energy held, difficult to price uh, investments. And I'm sure someone in real estate, you probably have an idea of what that's about. Um, but I guess while I was, in, while I, I was at MNG, uh, I started becoming a lot more interested in my own uh, personal financial situation. Um, and investment portfolio. So I joined a few investment clubs and from there, uh, I learned a lot more about investing on a personal level. Um, and then I also finished studying for the CFA, got my CFA charter. And then I started writing uh, a book on investing in mutual funds called Stop Saving, Start Investing. Uh, in 2017, I published the book on uh, Amazon uh, and self-published and then to my surprise, uh, it actually ended up doing quite well. Uh, it sold a lot of copies in the UK specifically. So that was the pivot for me, uh, which, which really kind of just made me decide to go entrepreneurial. Uh, and then that's involved a number of things. So uh, I've got, as you said, a, an investment education website called stopsaving.com, where I talk about a lot of different investment related topics all the time. Um, also uh, wrote and published two books, as you said. And then I've worked with some business partners uh, after writing my first book in crypto. Uh, and we started a long, short, uh, quantitative crypto hedge fund uh, based in London. Uh, I then became chief, in chief investment officer of, of that fund. Uh, and then after that, chief operating officer. I've since resigned from the fund. The fund's still going around. Uh, but uh, I, I uh, prefer to trade my own capital. Uh, it's easier that way. Uh, but also, uh, I'm focusing more on content creation and investing and uh, independently consulting to uh, institutions on, uh, I guess, smaller institutions that want to get involved in Bitcoin and crypto. Um, it's obviously a lot harder for them to, to do that. Uh, so, so that's kind of my, my area. So, so that's me. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I love it. Uh, investment banking, hedge fund manager turned entrepreneur. And um, you are putting out some great content. That's um, one of the ways that I found you. I was doing some research on um, the uh, hash ribbon buy indicator. And you, uh, your blog has a lot of really great information breaking down different indicators, uh, a lot of information on Bitcoin. And then your latest book that I'm working through right now, um, I think is, is, um, is really good for people, digital assets, um, investing in cryptocurrency. And I love the introduction where you talk about waking up in the middle of the night and looking at that Bitcoin price and learning a lesson you'll never forget. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I was short. I was short Bitcoin at the time. 
um, it was a very good trade. Uh, I, the only thing is when I got out, uh, I then switched from Bitcoin into US dollars uh, on that particular trade. So it was a good trade followed by a bad trade. But overall, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, you don't sleep if you're going to look at the charts in the middle of the night. That's funny. So when did you write your first book on crypto and, and enter the space? Yeah. So as I said, in 2017, after I'd written my first book, I, I, uh, I, I started this investment education website called stopsaving.com. And I was looking for content to write about. And this was in about June 2017. And obviously, crypto became quite interesting. A friend from, from school who I hadn't heard from in about 20 years sent me a, an email and said, hey, seen your blog. What do you know about crypto? And I was very skeptical, um, but then I looked at the chart and I thought, okay, maybe this could go up. So I started uh, writing content on crypto and researching it. And I noticed that I got a lot more traffic to my website through that. Uh, and then I actually put out an investment strategy that I was using and uploaded it, uh, was, was kind of tracking that on my blog. Um, and that kind of led me to, to write the book because it, I just realized that there's a lot of interest in here. And once I went down the rabbit hole and started reading about Bitcoin and crypto, it was hard to come back. So, so that's kind of why I wrote the first book on crypto. Yeah, awesome. Well, today is June 30th. Bitcoin has been making a lot of moves here lately. So um, you want to jump into the charts first and just kind of talk about what you're seeing yeah, sure. and, and what's going on here with the end of the month and everything? Okay, let me just share my screen quickly. Share the right one. Okay, can you see the screen with about eight different charts in it? Uh, yeah, I see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. That's not what I'm gonna. I'm gonna open each of these differently. So, um, basically, what we're gonna do, I think, because it's month end, as you say, we can use the month end, uh, the monthly charts, to tell us a bit of, a bit more about the long term. Uh, and, and what what this monthly closure means for us. We can also go into the weekly charts. Uh, and I think we should go into the dollar charts too, because that's actually quite uh, important for the overall macro picture. And I'm seeing some things in the dollar chart right now, which 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 don't look good for Bitcoin. But again, you know, we, we'll just have to look through it and then we can all uh, start on that. Um, the daily chart we can start with first, because I think it's quite important to just see where we are from a daily perspective. And when I'm looking at this daily chart, I'm not really looking at uh, at, at longer term. I'm just looking for, for what we're going to do in terms of a range. Are we going to drop out of, of this bottom line? And you can see there's kind of a, and there's a few points here, but I'll just go through each of them. Uh, so it, you can see that there's this um, descending triangle or wedge type of pattern. Uh, if we, um, we we've we've actually tried to close above this once on a daily chart and we've gotten above it, but that looked like a fake out on June. We then dropped below it, uh, and now we've actually got above it again and we're retesting it. So for me, I think if we can keep this trend line and start to go up, that would be very good, at least for a a move to the top of the range, and then from there we can see. Because right now I'm not entertaining any long term bullish thoughts, as you'll see when I go in the macro charts. Or the longer term charts, but just for terms of the range, I think we could definitely get to the top side of the range, and from there we can see where we're going to go. Uh, another thing that's that's coinciding with this is this yellow line here is the 21 uh, week exponential moving average, and all the exponential moving average is doing is just waiting uh, more recent price action higher than than previous price action. So we've also closed just above that. Um, that's 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 quite bullish at least for now. Uh, but now we potentially look like we could lose it. So we really want to, I, I want to see us close, keep closing above this. And then we can talk about a potential uh, a 
higher move, not necessarily a bull market move, but a higher move. Um, the other thing to note is this, this blue line, which is the 50-day simple moving average. Uh, if we get a cross of this 21 EMA with the 50 simple, that would be quite bullish. And in the past when that's happened, we've had pretty good moves, uh, not necessarily a bull market, but it just means good moves for further upside continuation. Of course, the caveat to all of this is if we drop below and we start getting back in this range, it's very likely we're going to fall out of the sky. And, and this trend line, the more times you test it, the less likely it's going to hold. Um, the daily MACD, which is this bottom over here, this is just a momentum indicator, just shows price momentum. Uh, we can see that it's actually turned green and it's still green. So as long as that's green, I'm quite happy. If it starts to go white, as it did over here, you can see we look more likely to go down. If it starts to go red, I'd probably get a bit more uh, worried. Um, so, so yeah, I think so long as that stays green, we're okay for now. Uh, on the RSI, which is the relative strength index, it just measures the relative strength of buyers versus sellers. We can see that we've had this very long downward sloping uh, trend line uh, forming. And we've, we, we've, we tried to get above it on this fake out over here, uh, which we had, and then we went back down, down below it. Uh, now we're above it again, and we've actually retested it. Uh, quite clearly, you can see, and we bounced above it. So that to me is quite bullish, at least for a, a move to the upside. So I guess so short to medium term, I'm still bullish until proven otherwise, I guess. Um, and that's probably going into the month of July. But now I guess if we look at the monthly charts, it, it, it tells a bit of a different story. So you can still be bullish on the shorter term, but on the longer term, a lot's got to happen for us to get uh, to get out of this mess. So this here is, um, is a chart with uh, essentially monthly chart with Bollinger Bands. Uh, and every time we've trended above the Bollinger Bands and then had a full body candle open and close below the Bollinger Bands, we've gone into a bear market, except for this time over here where we had the 2013, 2014 uh, kind of double peak cycle. Um, so two out of three times is 66%. And you can see that right now, barring an act of God and we actually close at new all-time highs, this, this is going to be a full body candle open and close inside the, uh, underneath the, the, the top Bollinger Band. So, so on the balance of probability, that's not very bullish uh, to me. The next thing we can do is go to, let's just try, so, yeah, the RSI uh, index, again on the monthly. Um, you can see here that when we've been in bull markets, the monthly RSI has gone into strong overbought territory and overbought is anything above 70. So the relative strength of buyers has been really high. When it's gone down and crossed back into uh, the normal zone, as in not overbought, as in below 70, we've had bear markets, longer bear markets, uh, two out of three times. The only time we didn't have it was, again, this 2013, 2014 uh, kind of double peak cycle. So here, again, you can see uh, if we just go by the last two major bear markets, we're looking very similar. We, 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 we've dropped back into it. So uh, that's, again, two out of three times. Um, I guess from there, we can look at the weekly charts. Uh, I'll start with this one. This is, I mean, this is very well known in, in the crypto market. Uh, and I talk about this in my book. It's, it's basically just the 21 week uh, exponential moving average. Um, every time we've, 
been above this and, and found it a support. We've been in a good bull run. And when we've been dropping below it and seeing it as resistance, we've been in the bear market. Uh, the only time again was here where we quickly whipped below it again in the 2014-13 uh, cycle. So right now, what we've actually done, uh, we, we've dropped below it on the weekly. We've come back up it. Uh, and there is the 21 EMA. And we've tested the top. If, if I just zoom into this, you can actually see it more clearly. But um, we've tested the top of that. So what now? I mean, we could easily come back above it. But it, 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 we've got to get above it. It's got closing candles above it for this thing to turn around, I think. Uh, otherwise, it does look more likely to go into a longer-term bear market, in my opinion. Um, the other thing on the weekly I can look at is probably this. Yeah. So the MACD, uh, we can see here the moving average, divergence, divergence. we've had... Uh, We've had every time we've had like higher highs on the MACD, uh, we and then subsequently uh, had a pullback uh, on the MACD to red territory, as in to the downside. We've had major bear markets and we've had one here, we've had one here, and we've had one here. Uh, you won't really be able to see it over here uh, because it's, it's, it's smaller because of the fact that it's too far back, but I think it would be. It's it's different over there, but basically for these these bull markets, we've we've gone up and we've come back down. So that's again signaling that there's a bit more bearish momentum in the market right now, and there's a lot of work that the bulls will have to do to get out of that. Um, the other thing we can look at is the dollar. So the U.S. dollar, uh, it, it, it's it's kind of like when the dollar is doing well, other other risk on assets tend to be doing bad. Uh, and we saw that, for example, here in the, in the Corona uh, crash, where the dollar rallied up, and we had everything. We had Bitcoin going down, but we also had global assets and all risk on assets going down. So the yellow line here is the DXY index, uh, and we can see just the inverse correlation of the DXY and, and Bitcoin. And obviously, Bitcoin's priced in dollars, so um, you're going to have an inverse correlation. But remember, the dollar index is based on a basket of all different currencies. So when the dollar is going up against these currencies, it's a signal that people are, are trying to get to safety. Uh, so the question obviously is if, if, if there's an inverse correlation there, uh, as far as we can see, what would have, what's likely to happen to the dollar? So uh, you can see there's a little W bottom pattern here, but if we go into the, the monthly chart of the dollar, uh, let me just see where that is. It's, no, that's Bitcoin, apologies. Yeah, this one. So the dollar is obviously in a, in a longer term downtrend, but if you look at the DXY index from kind of 1986, it's had this, this major support, which turned resistance and now it's turned support again. So that's the first thing. We've actually had this W bottoming pattern uh, over here. And if, if this kind of moves up, we can, uh, it, it's very likely that, that we'll, we'll go not necessarily long-term bullish on the dollar, but we can actually certainly go at least to here to the previous high or, or perhaps trend up, up towards the resistance over time. Um, and obviously the cycles of the dollar, it's, this, this, is about, this would take about two years. So, so you're looking there at a kind of two-year cycle, which is how long Bitcoin bear markets usually last. Uh, and, and I don't think if the dollar, if that happened, I don't think it'd be good for other assets too, but of course we can't really uh, tell. Um, 
the US dollar, there's just one more chart I had actually where we can see a bit more clearly why I'm why I'm actually bullish on the dollar, at least in the short term, is um here we've had a a basically the dollars form this W bottoming pattern. And you've got a you've got two lows. You've got the first low and the second low. The first low actually happened outside of the bottom Bollinger band, and the second low happened inside the bowling, uh, bottom Bollinger band. So if you look at this, it kind of they kind of look like they're the same in terms of absolute as in their height. And you want higher lows effectively for pattern to turn around. But because this one's because of the distance from the bottom Bollinger band, this one's closer in. Uh, this is actually a relatively higher low uh, on the dollar. So that that is actually, to me, a bit more telling of, of a potential reversal in the dollar and it could go up. Obviously, if we break down and get back below that, uh, that, that thesis changes because um, we can't predict it, but that's just the probability. Right. And I think monetary policy, especially the U.S., but globally now is the key to all of that and the risk on trade, I think, is tapering and, sh and coming to an end here, if not by the end of the year, sometime before? Yeah, possibly. Uh, it does. I mean, again, I think the dollar is a very easy way to, to cut. There's a lot of information out there and there's so many things to look at where you can you can kind of go, well, what's going to happen to the S&P, the NASDAQ? What's going to happen to gold? But I think if you focus on the dollar chart, it's kind of like, you know, show me the charts and I'll tell you the news. The, the, the information in the dollar chart right now, although long-term it doesn't look like it's uh, uh, turning bullish in any way, it's suggesting that the dollar's got strength right now, which typically, not always, but very often, uh, isn't good for risk on assets. It's just deleveraging. So I think the yeah. Fed sent a clear message two, week, two weeks ago, start taking profits. Exactly. And hopefully that happens gradually and not all at once. I think that was the point. Well, unless you're and, a trader and you want to short yeah. I think that was the point, and that's kind of what we're seeing is that you know the Fed said, "Look, start taking profits. We have to unwind. We're not going to do it today, but uh, I think we're going to continue to see the dollar strengthen here throughout the year. We're going to see a little bit of deleveraging uh, and unwinding in the markets and, and other risk on assets, and we're already seeing it in Bitcoin. I think was the first um, to take the biggest hit due to the deleveraging. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I think we'll have to see how it plays out. They kind of got their back. They're up against the wall. They can't carry on doing it forever. So we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree with you for now. Yeah. So from an institutional standpoint, I know that the news would indicate in the crypto world that institutions are just uh, jumping over each other to get into crypto and they're ready to just start buying Bitcoin. And I think there's a little confusion in terms of um, how much institutional involvement there really is in the space right now and whether or not they're actually taking custody of Bitcoin, i.e. grayscale. A lot of people see these investments in grayscale and the unlocking of grayscale and they think that's actual Bitcoin that people are buying and unlocking versus you know what that is. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so I think it's institutional adoption of Bitcoin. Uh, it has been accelerating uh, this year quite a lot uh, with the price, um, but it's been very slow before that. Uh, and a lot of that's not had. That's not been because of uh, the the lack of understanding from an investment side uh, or lack of demand from clients. So. Uh, it's more to do with compliance issues and, and regulation issues and operational risk issues. So if you think about your average uh, 
institutional portfolio manager or, or professional trader, they're going to know, uh, they're going to probably understand Bitcoin from a macro investment perspective, either as a macro long-term investment or as, as an asset that they just want to trade um, because it's very volatile. So a lot of them will probably hold it on their personal portfolios. Um, but with the fund, it's a lot, it, there's a lot of other things that they have to, have to do. Uh, so it's a lot more difficult. So if you think about um, your average portfolio manager who, who wants to get hold of Bitcoin and put it in the fund or, or hold it on uh, in whatever investment vehicle they have books, these, these institutions have investment committees, they have compliance committees, they have risk committees, they have all these different committees that have to sign off on things. And I've, I've, I've attended and, and been to committees like this before and any decision takes a lot of time. Uh, but putting client money in Bitcoin, obviously, that's a much longer conversation um, because they want to iron out, you know, they're not just worried about price risk and volatility risk. They worried about operational risk, uh, custody risk, all different kinds of risks, liquidity risk. So I think um, that's been the problem. But actually, a lot of the reason why the uh, adoption has increased uh, this year Although I'll talk, it's not going fully strong, but there's a lot more adoption now, at least, uh, particularly amongst your smaller institutions like your hedge funds and uh, family offices, um, is, is because during the bear market, the last bear market that we had, uh, a lot of building's gone on and, and people always build in a bear market. That's, that's the time to build. And the, the pipeline for institutional adoption is now being built that actually it's becoming a lot easier for these institutions to go to their compliance and risk committees and actually say, well, look, we want to, we want to get into Bitcoin. And that can be whether they want to hold it a spot on their balance sheets, which is or on their, on their books or whatever those are, if it's a fund or, or a treasury, um, or if they want to trade it uh, or hold it indirectly through, you know, different, different synthetic products. Um, so if they want to hold it spot, a lot of things have actually uh, improved for them. So first of all, custody solutions. Uh, you can be the best fund manager in the world, uh, but if you leave client money on an, or Bitcoin on an exchange and that exchange gets hacked, or if you try to custody it yourself and you lose the private keys, you, you've got to answer to the client and your, your career as a fund manager is over. Um, so you need an independent custodian to safeguard those assets. And now we have that. We have uh, Fidelity, which is a household name, uh, and they've got a very kind of robust system, uh, custody system where clients can actually, they can own spot Bitcoin, they can trade, they can buy and sell it um, without actually having to use an exchange. They can do it through Fidelity's uh, cold storage the whole time. So um, that's, that's really accelerated. But then also you have these more pioneering companies, the smaller companies uh, like uh, uh, Anchorage, uh, uh, Copper, Coiny Finance, they've, they've, uh, they've got some pretty slick technology and they all work slightly differently, but a lot of them will plug into exchanges. So clients can actually, or institutions can use the exchanges, trade trade crypto without actually having to uh, take and leave the funds on exchange because the funds are actually held in the custody, in the custody of these providers. Um, so there's that, and then there's also, so that's really come a long way. And I think that was a big thing for institutions. So the, it's been built. The next thing I think, which is very important is uh, if, you, if you're looking for spot crypto, is, um, is now they have very high quality and OTC brokerage uh, facilities. So just over the counter. So if you're, if, you're an, if you're an institution and you're buying Bitcoin, you're not buying 10 Bitcoins, you're probably buying a lot more. Uh, so you don't want to move the price by buying it on an exchange unless you're doing it through very small orders. Um, 
so they have that now, which has allowed them to solve the liquidity issues. You also, and this is particularly if you're a hedge fund or a family office, uh, which is where most of the, the investment from institutions is coming from. You need a uh, you need a, a a fund administrator to to calculate your net asset values every day or month or whatever, uh, and um, to do that, if, if you've got Bitcoin, they need to understand Bitcoin, first of all, and then they need to be okay with that. So now fund administrators are starting to get a bit more okay with that. And they are some that actually specialize in it. So that's, that box has been ticked. Um, the other thing with administrators is that they will, uh, they will process subscript, uh, subscriptions to the fund and redemptions back from the fund. Um, so they have to really consider things like anti-money laundering, uh, know your customer, KYC, and now if Bitcoin's involved in that, they're going to need to use, uh, they're going to need tools that can actually check that out. And Cypher Trace uh, uh, and Chain Analysis, those exist today and they can really scan the blockchain and they're very good at doing AML and, and that quite quickly. So, so there's that, I think. So, so in terms of the spot market, it's, it's really uh, evolved uh, and it now is easier for institutions to get in. It's obviously a lot harder for the more uh, retail institutions that manage retail money uh, and the pension funds, et cetera. But for the, the, the hedge funds and the family offices, which have a broader mandate and they can, they can do it for sure. Uh, but obviously the easier way, as, you, as, you, as you've said, is, uh, is, um, is indirect exposure to Bitcoin where they're not actually gonna buy Bitcoin because they, they, there's actually very easy ways they can do it uh, without having to, 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 to buy and hold it and custody it. They can, uh, we've obviously got CME futures, so they can trade it long and short. That, that's pretty standard for these guys. It's very familiar to them. They've, they've, they've done it with all different other assets. Uh, then there's the grayscale, which is again, as you've said, just like a company that owns the, owns the, uh, owns the Bitcoin. So they're buying shares in the company and then they're getting corresponding uh, Bitcoin back. The only disadvantage with, with trusts, those, those type of vehicles is that you end up paying a premium uh, for the Bitcoin and Obviously, these 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 guys are very well protected, so it's, they're not going to go under anything. But if 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 you were invested in a trust like that, and something like that happened, you get back less Bitcoin than you put in in theory because it's not a liquidation event. That's what would happen. Although it's obviously very unlikely. Um, in terms of an ETF, that would be ideal. We don't have that yet, uh, but we do have the next best thing, which are in, uh, exchange traded products. Um, so those, you know, an ETF will actually physically buy and hold Bitcoin uh, itself, and it won't have a premium. So it's actually a really good uh, vehicle for institutions. But an ETP, it won't have a premium, but it's it's technically classed as a, a debt security. It, it uses Bitcoin, and uh, that that actually gives it credit risk. Um, but then again, there's many of them in Europe, and there's many of them for other assets. Uh, besides Bitcoin that have been used effectively for a long time. So we do have the next best thing. Um, another thing which a lot of people are, I guess, guess has been overlooked is the, um, is, the, is the institutional lending and borrowing of crypto. And this will go back more to the spot markets. Uh, you know, things like Blockify, uh, institutions can, can put up Bitcoin as collateral and they can borrow against it or they can, they can, lend, out their bit, uh, they can lend out their Bitcoin and earn interest. Or crypto uh, and an interest, so that's actually a really exciting area of the market. So, yeah, I mean, if we if we just sum it all up, if we look at the technicals, maybe we go into a bear market now, maybe we don't. It's really hard to predict, but 
if we go into a bear market, they're not going to stop building up this uh, this this pipeline. It's going to carry on being built. So it, it's just tending towards Bitcoin being a regular asset class at the end of the day. Um, and if you're an investor, the volatility will, will obviously decrease as the more institutions eventually get involved, uh, which is which is nice if you're an institution and you just want something safe. But if you're an investor looking for upside, you actually want volatility. You want big bear markets so you can accumulate uh, because that's where the upside is. Without the volatility, there is no no upside, effectively. Yeah. So back to the grayscale exposure. So what's interesting about that is they had huge demand initially because the price of Bitcoin was higher. So the alpha was greater between the fees and the spot that grayscale owned Bitcoin. But now with the price of Bitcoin, it seems like that spread has decreased. So there seems to be less interest in that um, fund right now from what I'm reading. Yeah, I mean, that's that makes a lot of sense if you just look at the price. Um, it, it's 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 just something that can be thrown into to the analysis. I mean, I, I figure if Bitcoin went back above its all-time high, uh, you'd probably see that premium uh, come in again and go up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was very very high back in the day. Uh, I don't remember the year, but I, it was extremely extremely high. Uh, and Ethereum um, Ethereum trust was even higher at one stage. I think it was like thirteen thousand percent. Something yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And with the ETPs and ETFs and other funds, um, I think the funds, the early funds are losing appeal and other products are stepping in. And like you said, that infrastructure is being laid at broad scale right now. So what is, from your perspective, from a hedge fund institutional perspective, what's more appealing now? Is it exposure to the price action or is it the long-term um, value of the asset that's the most appealing? That's a very good question. I think it just depends on what type of institution you are. So if you're a, if you're a, a long short hedge fund, all you care about is the volatility. So you, you'd want to use derivatives and futures. But if you're a, a kind of VC or a, a more macro hedge fund, uh, you want to hold positions for a very long time. If you want to hold positions for a very long time, you want to hold spot and you want to custody it um, yourself, or well, not yourself, with a, with a custodian. So you could also then uh, hold trust, grayscale trust products too. Um, so it just depends on the type of institution, really. I don't think it's 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 clear cut. Yeah, it seems... the offices will probably be holding spot too, I think, but they yeah. might have trading arms. I mean, it just depends. Everyone, they're very secret. The kind of institutions that are holding it right now are, are actually the type of institutions that are quite secretive. They're hedge funds and stuff. Uh, the treasuries, they don't really have to tell everyone. I don't know if they do, but uh, we know that Tesla and 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 uh, Michael Saylor's uh, micro strategy are holding it. So they're obviously holding spot. And, yeah, and, it's and I look at each. them. I look at them as retail because you basically have one individual making that decision. So I look at that as more of a retail trade versus a um, institutional corporate treasury because they're not typical. Michael Saylor can do what he wants, and yeah. he basically has, and he's convinced his board that this is the right move. And you know, depending on the financials of the company, may not have had a choice. Um, Elon, same thing. You, you know, Tesla is not profitable without the credits, and he's just you know, a wild card anyway. So Elon can do whatever he can, whatever he wants to do, and then 
you know, he pays the price later as we've seen. So he's a lot of fun, but I don't look at those two maneuvers as corporate treasury institutional moves. I don't know if we've seen any others yet, like a GM or a Ford or Pepsi or, you know, anything like that. Same thing with Jack Dorsey. I mean, he's one individual uh, that can make decisions on behalf of uh, Twitter, on behalf of uh, Square and the other ventures that he's involved in. Yeah. You know, obviously, Facebook, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can make some decisions. So, so there's a difference, I think, in, in those types of institutions, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's depending on the, a lot of these are tech companies. So the, the tech companies will, they've been found, it started earlier, they've got CEOs who started tech companies from scratch recently, and they own a lot of the, the equity in the company. And like you say, they can, they can pretty much dictate to the board what they want to do. Uh, but it's the older companies, the more stable companies. Uh, well, no, they're, they're all obviously these are stable companies, but it's the more kind of the older companies that have been around much longer, which have more uh, spread out diverse equity holdings. Uh, they will have a harder time because there's more there's more people that's that they've got to convince, I guess. Um, Pension yeah, Michael Saylor is, uh, he's the biggest YOLO in the space. I mean, he is, he has made the bet of his life and put it all on the line. So he's definitely sink or swim. And Elon, eh, you know, he threw a little bit in very small fraction of, of what he's actually worth. So it'll be interesting to see how these play out. Have you heard any long-term views on the price of Bitcoin and any current views in terms of value and entry points? I mean, I, I, I try not to predict the price that far ahead because I think it's impossible and uh, I'll probably be wrong no matter what kind of thing, thing comes through. I mean, you hear a lot of things you've looked, you look at like the stock to flow model and, and, and that's kind of suggesting we've got a lot longer to go up, a lot more upside to go. Um, there's a few models like that. I, I think, you know, you hear these random targets of 500,000 thrown around. Um, you don't see the, 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 uh, all the research behind them, but you've got to assume they've done their research. Some of the people making it, like Kathy Woods, has quite a high target. Um, but I guess the best way to kind of, how I would think of Bitcoin, uh, if I had to kind of think what's the long-term value for Bitcoin, is if you look at, so so Bitcoin and gold, obviously these are two competing assets. Uh, one's, they're both um, finite supply. Uh, well, gold is harder to be finite, but there's a lot of similarities of of Bitcoin and gold and what they would serve in your portfolio. Uh, right now, Bitcoin is a lot more of a risk on asset than gold, but maybe in five years time, Bitcoin becomes more of a safe haven asset because it's got that fixed and finite supply um, property. So I, I would kind of say, well, if that's the case, then you could, you could make an argument that Bitcoin uh, would catch up to gold in market cap and the gold market cap has gone down while the Bitcoin's gone up uh, since I wrote the book. But it's probably what 12, 12 trillion gold. Yeah, 10, 10, 12 trillion somewhere in that neighborhood. 10, yeah, and Bitcoin's I think maybe one point four or. Something well, like Bitcoin's six billion. or seven hundred billion right now, and the whole billion, the sorry, whole crypto the, is in the yeah. one two to one four. Yeah, 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 on yeah. What day you look at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was talking. Yeah, so the the Bitcoin is is six seven hundred. So basically, you've 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 got a long way up. Uh, you've got like a nearly twenty x to get to the, the the market cap of gold. From here, so that's putting you at a five hundred thousand dollar, potentially six hundred thousand dollar target, and I think that's that's one logical way to look at it. Uh, any, it's difficult based on the chart to just assume 
from what I can see on the chart or what anyone can see on the chart that it's just going to go up uh, to those prices from here. But for a, from a fundamental uh, standpoint, it's much easier to make these longer term predictions. And obviously, that is going to be met with a lot of volatility um, if that happens. Yeah, the stock to flow model will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, right now, it's off target, but we're in a correction. So that's to be mm -hmm. expected. Um, you have a halving coming up. And if you look at price action on the halvings, um, it would indicate that we're not done and that there's more uh, of an upside leg. Uh, but all of the charts, all of the market sentiment and fundamentals are indicating that we're, we're in a downtrend that's, that's going to be um, longer lived than, than those would indicate. And here's the real question. So what happens to Bitcoin in the event that mining is no longer profitable or sustainable. Yeah. How is the network maintained at that point if miners are just done? That's always been a problem, but I think it's a, it, people will, will come in and, and, and mine in different areas, I think. So you've obviously got the China crackdown uh, on mining, and, and we can see from the hash ribbons indicator uh, that you were, I think, talking about on, on your show the other day, how how we haven't got that blue bar signal yet and we need the miners to stop capitulating um, and when they capitulate what's happening is that the hashing power of, of the bitcoin network is going down because miners are taking their mining resources elsewhere and we can see that on the chart so if if the mining went down uh then the the miners would carry on capitulating which would actually mean that we would never get that blue bar signal on the hash ribbons indicator, which would actually mean we would probably never go more bullish again. Uh, and for that to happen, you, you've, you've got to have a moving average of, of mining hash rate cross to the upside. And then you've got to have the, uh, the price of Bitcoin, uh, the 10 day moving average, simple moving average cross the 20 day simple moving average uh, on top of that. And that's when you get the blue signal. What's been strange is that we've had three fake signals effectively you know, recently it went it went green and then went off again green went off again uh, and now it's gone green well now it's we're just waiting i guess so yeah i don't think that would be good for bitcoin but uh, but i also think that there's 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 going to be other companies and countries uh, also that are going to come in and and try to take that market share so you look at uh El Salvador with with their volcanoes and and you, you, you can see that that there's uh, a lot of energy around there uh, and and some of the other South American countries um, will and and Miami and Texas and uh, you know so so the China thing with with the mining is a problem but I do think that'll be picked up elsewhere uh, and also uh, they're going to have to make it green uh, for institutions to get involved and I think that's a lot of the reason why. Um, while we've had this correction is around that story um, but it's very easy to make bitcoin mining green because bitcoin mining is a game of electricity versus output and you have uh all you have to do is find green energy and then you can actually you can make it green whereas if you're a gold miner for example there's, there's so many other spillovers that come with that so 
Yeah, and ESG is a real thing. It's not just Bitcoin. I mean, that is the theme in corporate America across the board. Every company has put ESG compliance officers in place. They're putting programs and process in place. So it's not just Bitcoin that that ESG is affecting and the environmental conversation. So um, did we cover everything that you had that you wanted to talk about today or did we miss something? Uh, I think we've covered quite a lot. Um, How much time has gone on? I think we've been at it about uh, about 40 minutes altogether. Um, and as far as the end of the month, did we cover all the things that are affecting the Bitcoin price right now with the end of the month, things that are going on, anything glaring that we should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, I think we could obviously go into a lot more indicators, uh, but I think a lot of indicators, uh, if you go into too many, you get analysis paralysis. So, so I kind of stick with 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 the ones that I typically use to trade uh, and invest. And and those are still telling me that, yes, we could have a bounce in the short term and that'd be great, but we really need to get back above, and I'd say start closing daily candles, weekly candles, at least above 50,000 to start looking like this has been a quick uh, detour in a, in, a, in a macro bull run. And it's definitely possible that we go into a bull run from here, but just based on the charts that, that I'm looking at right now, at this point in time, uh, I don't see the case for that at the moment. Yeah, and the, you know, to make it easy, the hash ribbons buy signal. Just take a look at that, and uh, you know, you can keep an eye on that. But how how affected is that by the recent exodus of China? Is that going to kind of skew that a little bit, maybe in the interim? Well, I mean, it could be a reason why we've seen this continued capitulation signals coming from it. Uh, at the end of the day, if, if, if the hashing power goes somewhere else, so if it goes to Texas or, or my, you know, the States um, and South America and other places, then the mining hash rate will eventually pick up again. And when it pick up, picks up again, the indicator will still work as it's normally worked. Um, so it, I don't think it would break the indicator. I just think the hash rate would just keep going down and down and down until it quickly reverses back up and then uh, you would have a, a signal. It's just when does that happen and what price are we at when that happens? Yeah, that's the key. Everybody wants to know, where's the bottom? So yeah. uh, for everybody watching, I'm going to put Jonathan's website link uh, in the description comments so that you can uh, go to his website. He has a lot of great information on the hash ribbon indicator and, and all of the other important indicators with Bitcoin. Very thorough research. All your charts that you just shared are on there. Are those on TradingView as well uh, or just on your website? Yeah. Uh, so I've actually, while we've been over today, uh, I've got a, a written version of that too, because I actually put out a blog post this morning. So the timing was very good. Uh, I've, I did the, this morning and put the blog out. So it's all there. Um, okay, great. Yeah, we have people from all over the world. So make sure you go to Jonathan's website. The link will be below. Sign up for his blog. Um, notifications, I get that. Very informative. Keeps you up to, up to date with what's going on in the market, what to look for. I, I really enjoy your approach to the analysis, the charts, and the fundamentals. It's, uh, it's fantastic work. Thanks very much, Greg. Uh, it's been very good to be on the show. And uh, it's been again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Love to have you back and maybe we'll dig in a little deeper on on some of these other things. Sounds good, eh?